The History of Personal Computing. History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Personal Computing podcast. And today we have a very special episode as we have a special guest. His name is Sam Amons. And hello. Hello, Sam. Yeah, welcome. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and Jeff is here with me as well. And we're going to be talking to him, to you, Sam, a little bit about, uh, you know, I discovered you by way of something you're selling on eBay. And I was very intrigued with it. And uh, in fact, I'm buying one from you. And I'm very excited about that. Um, by the way, I own a, uh, I don't know if you're aware, with it, aware of it, but there's an Altair 8080 clone. And I think that built by a guy named Michael Douglas, and I, I interviewed him a few years ago, and hmm. so I have that. And um, Sam makes a Mitz Altair 680 clone that he calls the Mini 681. And in the show notes, we'll have a link to his eBay auction, um, and then also two different links to. Of course, you can do a Google search, but some information about the Mitz Altair 680. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. I don't specifically know a lot about it directly, but Sam probably does. So anyway. Here we go. Welcome to the show, and we're going to find out more about you and about the Altair 680 clone. Okay, great. Well, um, it started out uh, quite a few years ago when I was um, in high school, way back when, like in the late 70s, and um, the personal computer was just starting to become born, and you could buy a, a computer, which you had to assemble yourself, and they were advertised in Popular Mechanics, and they're like right around $400. I tried and tried to get my dad to buy me one, but he said computers were dumb. Nobody's ever going to have a computer, much less in your house. What <laughs> are you really? thinking? And uh, so I, I ended up going into the Navy shortly after that, um, went over to Edsel, Scotland, and I see on the bulletin board someone is selling a, uh, a home-built computer. A, it was a Southwest Technical Products, which is a, another version of a 6800 computer. Mm -hmm. And um, I could have it for the low, low price of $400, which although I didn't have it when I was in high school, I had it then. So I bought it and drove the guy crazy with all my questions on why wouldn't it boot and why does it just say asterisk and doesn't do anything. And um, But I uh, became very familiar with how to load my Star Trek game and how to use my basic program and... Um, after that, I went over to um, another duty station in on an island off the coast of Alaska where I had one year, just me and the bears, to um, study my computer. So I became very familiar with the, the 6800 and not with the Intel just because that was the luck of the draw. I just, I just ended up being Motorola instead of Intel. Yeah. So, I became very familiar with machine language programming and how to squeeze the maximum amount of uh, performance out of a limited amount of memory. And it stuck with me until I became a, a civilian defense contractor and I had the lucky task of making antenna controllers. So I used these microcontrollers that I'd learned when I was in the Navy and the derivative of that is the 6811. 6811 uh, is backwards compatible with the 6800. So 
Um, so I became very familiar with um, using the enhanced features of this microcontroller with the operating codes of the 6800. And it became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. You can get these uh, 6800s. Now you can get the, the chip itself for like a dollar to five dollars on eBay. But uh, I uh, used it as a generic platform, so I made a utilitary and board that would uh, do whatever I wanted it to do, and it was all based on the 6800. Um, and then, you know, into the 6811. So I was playing on eBay and I look and I see uh, uh, I see one of these computers with all the lights and knobs and switches, which I said, oh, I, boy, I wanted one of those so bad. Um, so I tried, to, I tried to get one and I didn't win the auction, so I tried again. I didn't win that auction. I found someone making a clone and um, tried to buy that, but he would never. Uh, he would never respond to the email. I don't know if he's dead or, <laughs> or if he lost interest or or what the deal is. But um, I tried to get the authentic looking one and no dice. So I said, "Well, fine. I'll just make me one." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I got my 3D printer and my my CAD software and and everything and um, dug a little bit and found out that I pretty much had already made one. So I took my 6811. Um, added some front panel switches and some LEDs to it, wrote some code, and um, made a even better um, Altair 680 clone, which, I, you know, I can't call it an Altair, but I can call it a, a Mini 681 because um, it has all the switches and the knobs and it does everything the Altair did, but it does it four times faster and wow. and a lot less expensive and has a whole lot more memory and a clock and all sorts of stuff that... Uh, just wasn't possible before. So let me just ask you a couple of things. Did you at, at any time, I guess, did you follow it when the, the Altair 8080 came out? Uh, yes, 8, I 8800, did. I mean, yeah, yes, I did. But, um, and they're, you know, they're very pretty machines. They, uh, like, they was that something me. you wanted or an MSI or some of the, the other ones yeah. from that time frame or, yeah. And I even know some friends that, uh, um, that, you know, have a couple that they squirreled away on their top shelves. But um, they wouldn't part with them for an affordable price. Yeah. So uh, as much as I would, you know, as much as I would want one, uh, although the machines are are pretty much capable and they do pretty much the same thing, it's just a uh, you know Motorola versus Intel thing, and uh, you know the general consensus is everybody went um, with Intel and Microsoft adopted that and Apple adopted the Motorola. So it's a two, you know, two different camps. Um, yeah, the machines are, they're both works of art. And if it wasn't for those machines, we would not have, you know, computers on our desk, in our pockets, in our car, um, in our microwave, just everywhere, everywhere. And I would like to, I would like to make, you know, an 8080, uh, clone or an 8008 clone, but uh, I can only do ten projects at a time, so and I'm kind of, kind of full right now. <laughs> kind of full. So, so you know, talking about computers everywhere, because some of us collectors do have a lot of computers everywhere. Uh, what what do you have in your own collection of computers? Oh gosh, I've got uh, I've got everything from um, I guess the first uh, the first sixty eight hundreds. I got a couple of those. I got a six some sixty eight elevens. Um, I've got, uh, an AT and XT, um, you know, those are the IBMs, 386, 486, 586. I've got 586 single board computers. I've got car computers, got, 
um, recently I've I've got into um, servers, um, high end uh, eight core servers that you can get for fifty dollars off eBay. That's just phenomenal, and um, I've been playing with that this uh, last month or two. But uh, but my first love is these these eight bit microcomputers because um, they do a lot of well they do everything you tell them to do. Um, and they're so byte efficient and compact. It's a platform that you can easily wrap your head around, and you don't have to learn a million things um, to get something done. You can you can actually get something done with just a serial terminal and uh, and the computer itself. So if you're interested in learning or or producing some useful product, um, you can actually do it, and and it's an environment that you can fully wrap your head around. At least in my opinion. And those blinking lights on the older ones are always a, a bonus. Oh yeah, you gotta love those. My mom used to take me to to work at the Naval Ocean System Center in uh, Southern California. I was about thirteen, and she had one of the first IBM three hundred and sixty mainframes. You know, with the the raised floors and the tape drives and and the huge disc packs the size of wash machines. And um, she used to take me to work with her uh, during school vacation, and I would get to change the disc packs and mount tapes on on the government computer when they weren't looking that was before they got all concerned about security and you could actually bring your kids to work but um that was that was awesome and uh that's what told me that i wanted to play with computers and uh just because i was exposed in a very early age and and with my mother being a computer operator it just kind of just kind of felt natural so well it's really great that you've um that you've created this and um we actually have interviewed a couple other guys that have created clones, and I don't know if, if you if you saw that on our page or, or you've or you've checked that out at all. But there's a gentleman named Bob Applegate, and you mentioned the SWTPC. So he's, he's created um, an SWTPC reproduction, both 6800 and 6809. Awesome. So so, so check that out. <laughs> and uh, he didn't have a case for it, but of course it didn't have the front, you know the switches and the lights and stuff. But he went so far as to like it's. Um, it's completely compatible with the original, and it actually has the bus and everything. Wow, which is pretty neat. But you know, but he's using all new components. Um, yeah, that had an SS50 bus on it, if right. I recall. Exactly, and then we also uh, interviewed uh, Oscar, which I, I can't think of his last name right off. Vermeulen. Yeah, and he made a uh, what he used. To, did he use an apple pie? Right. I'm, listen to me, Raspberry Pi. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, yeah, he did. Yeah, he, it's called, he made a right, PDP eight. Yeah. That that has all the front panels and, and it's great and I have one of those and it's called the wow. Pi DP8. So we've entered huh. both of them and see. And he also I, did the Kim Uno. Yeah. So this is sort of an up up and coming thing and you've joined the party and you know I think uh, just making more awareness about it is it's it's really neat stuff. It allow it opens up a whole other corridor for people to kind of experience old computers and you know and actually play with them and stuff because you know down the mm-hmm. road you're not going to really be able to play with the real thing too much anymore other than no, software, it's, it's, software you're emotion. very you're very well insulated from that um yeah i make uh i make these computers but i'm also familiar with the the 6812 i use arduinos to make uh remote monitoring equipment for our wireless internet uh solar sites so that we can monitor battery voltage and or see if we're running on batteries at a remote site. We report it over Ethernet and have our own, you know, website that we report outages and temperatures and and wow. generator monitors for people. So we use Arduino's and all these other 
um, computers. I even make weather boards that um, I'll be selling on my on my website. That they have accelerometers, gyroscopes, um, GPS. The stuff is just dirt cheap. So now you can put a GPS in your hand for five bucks. Yeah, um, I love playing with Arduinos myself. Accelerometers. I don't do near as what you do with it, but I like you know taking input and making output. Aren't yeah. accelerometers what makes time travel possible? <laughs> oh wait, no, that's something else. <laughs> yeah, you got all these shields, or you make your own shield and just slap yeah. it on there. It becomes. I, I have a. Uh, I actually have a shield. I'm a ham radio operator. I have a ham shield yeah. that goes on an Arduino, and it allow an Arduino to trans transceive on two meter and four forty uh, megahertz uh, ham bands. Um, I have yet to get it functional because I'm using a, a Leonardo and it requires a Uno R3 to work properly, so I have to restock on those. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great, versatile devices. We've now, got uh, oh, go we've got the uh, something uh, uh, we've got something similar. We built a, a wideband SDR um, that runs off of the um, the Atmel, the AT SAM, and um, when working with that, we get a lot more memory, so we're able to make um, an SDR, a receiver, that goes from, I think, um, maybe the broadcast band up to two and a half, maybe three gigahertz. And, Good range. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, we, had to, we had to do a lot of, a lot of mixing and, and quite a bit of magic in it. Um, my engineer friend, Bob, uh, he's the one that does the he's the one that does the RF stuff. He's a ham just like me, and um, we we also sell a, a an HF SDR for a hundred bucks that goes you know all of the H, HF band up to thirty megs, and um, we uh, we looked in to see what it would cost to you know manufacture them. So we talked to the the Chinese and and they would love to make them for us, but uh, they. Would love to make them if we have like a thousand of them. So yeah, that's how it was with the ham board. There, yeah. the ham, uh, they needed to get. It was a Kickstarter project. I thought, oh, this sounded good. I'll get into it. And if anything, I have a little you know packet device or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got some licensing going on with for to use the CI five um, protocol inside of my. Um, my SDR so that I can use an antenna tuner so it'll talk to the uh, antenna tuners and change the uh, change the antenna and change the frequency. Uh, also change your you know talk to your radio if you want to put it on your uh, ICOM bus and talk to your talk to your ICOM radios. But like I say, I can only do ten projects at a time, so <laughs> only ten. <laughs> yeah, well, my biggest thing is I use an Arduino to create an LED lighting array for my uh, jukebox. Um, uh, but anyway, um, I'm going to get back to your um, your clone here. Um, I, I noticed on your eBay auction, you explain a lot of uh, features that the 680 did not have, and that interested me greatly. Could you explain some of what someone could do with some of the enhanced features provided by your version? I mean, have you experimented in, in those new features and and found it some very positive or useful? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I talked to the um, well. I read the read the documentation about the the 680, and uh, back in back in that era, they uh, they had the computer. You had half of a K, 512 bytes of memory, and you didn't have any way of getting your programs into and out of the computer. ROMs were a fairly recent 
you know, innovation. And, um, you know, not a lot of people um, had endorsed that project yet because ROMs were expensive and we're trying to, you know, make a computer. So finally, Motorola came up with this uh, computer. It says, this is going to change the world. And just it's just like Intel's, except the instruction set is orthogonal. We don't use paged memory, and this is this is how we're going to do it. So the people at um, at MITS they decided, well, we're going to take this and make a kit so that people can actually make it in their home. Well, when they did it, they made it so that you use switches to set the memory address of the byte of memory that you wanted to address. You'd set the the switches to what you wanted it. To be, and then you'd either press deposit to deposit in that memory, or you would examine it to see what was there. So then, then what you would do is you would flip the switches to the next memory location, and you'd examine it, see if it's what you wanted, and if it was fine, then you go on to the next. Well, this was a lot of memory flipping, switching going on, and it's hard enough to count in binary, and it's tedious to do it when you've got you know, like a hundred lines of code. So it was a kind of error prone process that was really kind of tedious. So your main thing that you're trying to do is you're trying to bootstrap your computer, like pull it up from its bootstraps so that you could get the thing going so that you could get your program in in a much easier fashion. So usually the first program that you entered was either a program that enabled a terminal or a program that enabled a typewriter to um, you know, let you key it in from a terminal or a tape reader or something just to save you from the misery of, of you know, 4,000 uh, error-prone mistakes. Well, I know that we all want to relive the glory days and we want to have fun, um, but I think we can have the fun without the pain. So I put three extra switches on here, and one is um, after you hit deposit, it will automatically increment the memory address. So now you don't have to count in binary. You just set up the initial start address like 0000, and then you put your your data on the address, or rather, sorry, you put your data on the data switches, you put your address on the address switches. When you hit deposit, it puts whatever's on the switches into the memory, and then it auto-increments the, oh, um, okay. the address. So you kind of like added functionality like those uh, hexadecimal microprocessor trainers do. Right, right, To, right. to something that's just the, the, the binary. Well, that's, that's useful. Yeah, so that's, that's useful. So also for examining. So you get your little printout and you say, okay, well, i got to check 25 bytes starting at, you know, B600. So you put in B600, tell it to examine, hit go, and it shows you what's there. You check it off on your list. You flip the switch one time. It goes to the next address. So all the, all the while, it, it displays the address on the little lights, displays the data. Um, and so you can very quickly, you know, proofread your program. Well, another added feature that the 680 did not have that since I wrote this software I now have is you didn't have the ability to jump to a program. You didn't have the ability to read the program counter. So what what I did was I added a switch so that you could write whatever address you're going to write, and it adds it to the program counter. Well, the program counter is where the computer is going to start executing your program. So once you put your program in, you put your start address on the address switches, and you press this switch, and bam, it starts executing the software that you just put in. The 680 didn't do that. The 680 also didn't let you examine 
um, the program counter to see what was there. Um, the 680 also didn't have a, um, a bootstrap loader. It didn't have eight A to D converters to measure voltages. It didn't have a clock. It didn't have timers. Um, it didn't have IO ports unless you bought them. And it had a very limited amount of memory. It also had a limited serial interface that was done by what's called bit banging on a parallel interface. So I put a genuine, I got a genuine serial interface in here. Um, I was going to ask about that. So it has, a, it has like a regular serial port on the back. Cause, yes, cause it you, does. You sent some pictures, but not of the back, so I couldn't see yeah. that part. Okay. And is it buffered? What's that? Is it buffered? It has a, it has a one character uh, FIFO in it, but okay. it also has, uh, it has a handshaking line that uh, I used a, a five volt to RS-232 logic level converter. So, and I've got the, uh, the handshaking line from the host going in and going out. So if you wanted to implement that in your software, you, you could use clear to send, request to send, as if you were, you know, like writing to okay, a to, a to halt to halt the data stream temporarily yeah. and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and you could and this uh instead of being um instead of being done with a, a parallel chip, it's done with a serial data register. So to write something you just stick it in the stick it in that memory address and it goes out the serial port. If you want to read what's in there, you just read that address. And if there's a character there, then it's there. Um, but I also have a, an SPI, which is a one megabit SPI, uh, right now that's set aside to be used for the clock. And a lot of these features are just native to the 6811 microcontroller, so you get them for free. They, um, the, the processor is available commonly for like $5. And I put a board around it so that we can access all of these things, like whether you want to count pulses or use it as um, you know, an antenna positioner where you count the number of clicks on a relay, um, a magnet wheel that goes past the sensor, or if you want to use a, um, a security alarm. I've got um, 16 inputs and 16 outputs that can just you know, see if a, a switch has been set. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things that you get in this little card that's only three and a half inches by, I guess, four inches. It's a tiny, tiny computer, um, and it's you know you open up your box and you go, hey, where's the computer? Yeah, and it's it's like mounted to the back panel. So, so I have a so we, and of course you send us a couple of pictures and we'll post those and mm -hmm. and feel free to send a few more you know if you like yeah. and we'll post them. But so I have a couple of questions about that. So um, so the Altair eighty eight hundred clone and like the Pi DP Pi DP eight one, you know they have a serial connection. And again, I own both of those, so I can take my little uh, modern, you know, semi-modern laptop and run a, a USB the serial cable over to it, and then I can bring right. up a terminal program and then, like, uh, you know, correct. run Basic and all that stuff. So, mm -hmm. so obviously, uh, I could do the same thing with this. Yes, you can. You can run. It has a built-in uh, assembler and disassembler. It has the ability to uh, download files from. Like your your PC, say you make a assembly language program, you program it on your PC, uh -huh. you assemble it, you have the S record file, you just dump that over the serial port into your uh, computer. I use this same processor to make a lunar lander computer, which is a replica of the display and keyboard in the Apollo capsule wow. and the Apollo lunar module, and um, that which is probably a, you know that's probably another podcast, but uh, I replicated the computer that landed on the moon using this board, which is surprisingly very very similar to to what the 
uh, boys at MIT made. It was, it's very surprising. You need to add that in as a uh, bonus feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and, so do, will it load basic though? Is it, does it have yeah. that built in or how would you like load uh, basic? Well, basic the basic for the 6811 is a, um, it is, it's an interpreter that, um, that you load into it. In other words, okay. you, you get the basic, you load it into it and then, um, you write your programs or load your programs and then it interprets them. But the cool thing is when you do run the basic interpreter, you get access to the, um, the counters and mm-hmm. the input output ports that are built into the microcontroller, okay. which is you know, different than a microcomputer. The microcontroller has the IO built onto the chip. Whereas a microcomputer, you have to have cards to do that. Um, so you got. Oh, you also have access to a, a C compiler, so you can program in a more modern language. You can use Forth. Um, there's a. There was a lot of you know eight bit eight bit programs. I use Assembler um, pretty much exclusively, but the uh, floating point math routines are available. The 6811 actually does some math inside of the microcontroller itself. So for somebody coming from a 6800 background, um, if you wanted to do something as easy as multiply, you just put one value in one accumulator, the other value in the other accumulator, execute the multiply instruction, and then the result is right there. It takes all the all the pain out of it. And doing it over um, a serial port where you can develop it on a PC and um, – and you know, write your software and, and record it. You can use whatever programming environment you want to use, like Code Warrior from Motorola, or you know, I just used the I just used the AS11 from Motorola years from years and years ago, and uh, and um, Programmer's File Editor. So I just I just use those and and make my software. I make um, Enigma cipher computers. So I made um, oh, an yeah, Enigma. You're, yeah, you're selling that. You're selling a reproduction yeah. of one of those, yeah. right? That's on, uh, yeah, that's on eBay. It's like it's my, my other part-time job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was done in the, the 6 to 8, 11, and I could even, you know, distribute that software in, the, uh, in ROM form in this computer. So when you get your, when you get your Altair, it's actually an Enigma, Enigma too. So you just type a character, and, and it'll spit it back in, encryption, encrypted. So there's, but there's a lot of things that you know I use it for as a, a general purpose computer, and and the um, the Altair 680 is um, just one of those fun things that I I wanted to do. Well, one last so the last part of my question here, then hand it off to Jeff for for another question is, um, yeah, it, I don't know if you'd want to do this, but if you if you did, could you? So is is this truly compatible with the 680? In other words, could you could you take the physical bus and wire it into it, and then add you know, real, real SS50. No, this doesn't have SS50, right? It's S100. No, well, is it SS50? No. Like this? No, it, it has neither. Um, oh, though, did the real Altair? See, my ignorance about the Altair 680. Did it? It had it had bus bus though, and had like card slots, right? <laughs> but it was designed before they came up with any standards. But did it have that? Did it have a card slot? It, for- it had a. Um, well, there is a the computer connected to the front panel by a proprietary connector and that was just to light the lights uh-huh. it did have a this now the 680 it had a slot but it was a proprietary it was a proprietary slot okay and um not a lot of people made anything for it okay there and there is a rom there is the rom that's on the the 680 which is basically to uh 
read the read the front panels and um and do some serial stuff but um it really didn't do anything other yeah, than that you had the to... SWTPC there for a minute yes yeah, yeah. i'm looking at a real yeah. a picture of a real one i see i see how it's done then yeah and on the on the SWPC SWTPC that's a mouthful um it did have an SS50 bus right. but one thing that uh one thing that computers of this vintage did was when they used a 6800 processor, it had a two-phase clock. A two-phase clock allows you to actually write to the memory when the CPU is doing something internally. The 6811 doesn't have um, a two-phase clock, uh, mainly because the thing runs a lot faster. This thing runs four times the speed of a 6800, and in order to do that, they got rid of the two-phase clock, and they went with something called an E-clock. The... It's a lot easier to decode the memory mm-hmm. on a 6811 than it is a 6800. It takes it takes one chip to do it. So Motorola put all that stuff inside the microcontroller, and when they did that, they made it so that it had the 6811 has a bus that is similar in structure to the Commodore 64, like you have on your classic computing site mm-hmm. picture, and right. the Apple II. Because um, it was in that vintage where when you want to write to memory, you basically put the memory address on the address bus, you put the data on the data bus, you make the write line high, and then you hit the enable and bam, it's done. It's, you don't have a lot, of the, uh, a lot of stuff going on with the 6800. Now, I put an expansion bus on this uh, mini 681, and I use it in my Enigma because um, I have a, a computer display, an alphanumeric digital display which i hook up and address as a as a memory cell so there is a you know there is a a 8-bit or 16-bit interface on the side but uh, when everything is already built into the microcontroller board there's not really anything that you need to add so um and it is a limited market so i didn't i didn't make it so that i could make products for the the 6811 or the mini 681 because Nobody has them. Nobody has – well, they don't have the need. If they need the I.O., the pins are already there. Okay. So they want to turn something on, they just connect a pin 4 and, and you can turn it on. So a lot of this stuff is you know, just – it's just not needed. But okay. uh, the capability is there you know, if somebody wants to do it. Jeff, you got any other questions? Yeah, uh, and you – Actually, I think mentioned a couple of them already, but uh, you mentioned the Lunar Lander computer and the Enigma uh, reproduction. But um, I guess including those two or maybe besides those two, um, do you have any plans for future computer reproductions? Or, yeah, tell us about your other like the other projects you're talking about you're working on. Well, um, I guess the... I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to make antenna controllers because um, there's something graceful about a huge antenna um, chasing after an amateur radio satellite or, or um, you know, or a drone that you're trying to get the 2.4 gigahertz uh, video off of, or or some weather balloon that you launched as a, a low Earth orbiting satellite. Um, so I've I've been wanting to make. Um, an antenna positioner that would take the the GPS data and calculate where to you know point the antenna. Uh, um, but as far as making another another computer, I'm more along the lines of making replicas that use this computer. Um, so 
um, I guess I'm more of a microcontroller person instead of a uh, you know, recreating all of the older computers. I did have, um, you know, I did have some experience on, on repairing, you know, the older, older computers. Um, but it's, uh, it's so easy to, to make a whole new one and, uh, you just got to go where the, the market is. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I can fully set up to fabricate any of this stuff. That's pretty cool. I think that sort of came up in our discussions with, uh, um, Oscar, um, going blank here, <laughs> Vermeulen and, <laughs> and Bob. You know the other guys who made some reproductions. Is that you know it'd be neat to have sort of like a foundational platform uh, that you could then re- you know you could recreate other computers off of. Sort of. I think we sort of talked about that, didn't we, Jeff? Yeah, it's almost like we need an, an Arduino for uh, you know computer reproductions. Yeah, you know, or, something to that extent, or for like arcade video games, and it called Mess. Uh, yeah, well, there's there's uh, there's MAME for arcade. There's MESS for uh, something like that, uh, like computers. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. MAME similar platform, but so, so, yeah, that's a software based recreation. Yeah. Uh, it would. Yeah, be I can I can see where well. I can see where you could uh, you could easily take a, a Pi, a Raspberry Pi, right, and and do that. I've seen um, in Kmart legacy video games that have been replicated by using, you know, an Atmel processor where you get all of the games, you know, all of the games of the seventies. Right. Uh, into the same, you know, the same, you know, platform. You just, you know, flip through whichever of the four hundred games. I've also seen uh Coco uh like the Coco three. You can get Coco three emulators, Amiga emulators. Um right. which, you know, that's a whole nother chapter there, me and the Amiga. Um but you can you can pretty much emulate all of these computers if you just get a faster computer, and it's it's not hard to be faster than eight bit, right? Um, yeah. But you don't always need a gold plated hammer. So well, that, well, that's one thing I liked about your project is that where a lot of the other recreations are using the, the faster computer, as you said, you're going pretty much close to the core of the original hardware. As as as, as much as I could, yeah. Yeah. The original hardware was made in. Um, in TTL Logic, and you can't even buy TTL Logic anymore. You can buy some LS TTL, um, but uh, if you recall the power supply on the original Altair, uh, they actually doubled up on the transformers because it used more power yeah. because it was <laughs> because it was TTL. So with everything in this computer here, with it running on um, the the processor and driving the lights. It runs off the power from your USB port. It yeah, doesn't. The original doesn't one was pretty noisy a, linear power supply. I, yeah, he'd yeah. be afraid to turn that on near anything magnetic, you know, like discs, floppy disk, right. or, or whatever. I haven't figured, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with the vents on the back of it because it doesn't generate any. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just maybe put some tissue paper over it. There you go. Oh, I had one one other question, um, and I know this was done with the the Altair more than anything, but um, did you? make yours capable of inducing sound in an AM radio? Um, it, it can do that just because. Um, yeah, it can do that just because. The way that those worked was they would, they would toggle a, um, a bit and uh, you know, at a specific frequency, and then they would just change the number for that frequency. Like if you wanted to play a C note or a D note or a G or whatever, uh, you just 
ch- change a series of frequencies. Well, because the bus was running so slow and because it was high current or higher current, um, it was very easy to tune a transistor radio and you'd be able to hear amplitude changes at the frequency of of the bit changes. You could do the same thing here, but just by taking the output pin and um, and put it to a, a resistor and just consume power. <laughs> just and consume yeah, and, power. and just radiates the energy. Yeah. And yeah. AM radios are great at picking that up. Yeah, you put it next to it. Matter of fact, um, I have... If you if you take an AM radio and you put it next to any of these computers, whether it be um, you know a Commodore sixty four or a Vic twenty or an old Apple or even you know even this, they all run at about two megahertz, and uh, the bus frequency on this is about um, is five hundred nanoseconds, but on those very old computers they ran at half of a megahertz. So they had a very slow bus frequency, and it wasn't difficult to get you know computer inform- computer generated noise out of them because the broadcast band is around eighteen hundred kilohertz, um, which is you know it's under two megs. So um, the computer itself was running that slow. You could slow this thing down, and you could actually run the code, or you could just you know do a little bit of math and divide everything by four. And get the and get the same thing, but you had asked previously whether this will run um, the older Altair code. Mm-hmm. It will run the older Altair code, um, with the exception that if the Altair code expects the I/O to be at a certain memory address, that doesn't exist in the sixty-eight eleven, okay. unless you put it there. So, um, for example, I took um, I have an old game called Space Voyage, which was for my sixty-eight hundred. That would run on the Altair, and it would run on, um, you know, on the Southwest technical computer. But anytime you were to buy a program back then, uh, it would say, "Okay, when we want to get a character out the serial port, we write to this address here. If you want to get a character in from the serial port, you expect it at this address here." So they'd give you the input for a character, the output for a character, and it was up to you to make sure that there was something to give or receive there. The same thing goes for here. It'll run it'll run any 6800 code, it'll run any 6811 code, but um it's you know things you got to stay away from are you don't want to stomp on your um your input output which uh, is all around 1800 hex or you don't want to step on your um your system rom which is up there in high memory at E000. Most of the time they had their their ROMs up in high memory, um, but I've got. Uh, you can change your memory. You can change your ROMs. You can add your ROMs, and I made it so that you could use from zero 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 all the way up to um, I think it's E zero 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 for either RAM, ROM, or EEPROM, which is you know another thing. Um, you can get a one dollar EEPROM chip, plug it in a socket, and you've got. 8K where you can store your program and next time you turn your computer on you don't have to boot anything. It's there. Um, You've even got memory inside of the CPU itself uh, 512 bytes which is how much memory the entire um, Altair came with. So you can put the program in there and when you turn your computer on it'll just start executing software. So uh, you get a lot of you get a lot of features and it's just because it was all it was all built in but uh, you got to make sure that you don't step on that with your you know with your software the memory map was considered huge 
in those days because they said, oh, it's got a 64K memory map and, and you're lucky you got 512 characters. It's like a wide open space of memory that um, confused a lot of people. I remember when I got my first um, 16K memory board, I was king for like a week because I was the only person I knew that had 48K of memory in my my little computer and now it's uh now you we just waste gigabytes and gigabytes of memory yeah, just for the icon <laughs> yeah oh look at the cat video <laughs> i'm gonna save that so well sam is uh, there is there anything else that uh that we didn't ask or you want to cover or say more about the, um, the 681 mini 681 or I don't have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like any features or any things we didn't ask about it or do you want to tell us about it? So ultimately, the the product that you're selling is mm-hmm. um, now – because I know on the eBay – currently on the eBay auction, the, uh, the it's like a wooden case. The front of it is paper. And so the pictures you sent us that we're going to post, th- that this is now an alum- – right? An aluminum front and back? The – well, I I talked to the – I talked to the case manufacturers, and uh, you know, it's an interesting story. I, you know, when I was looking for, I wanted to buy a 680 replica for myself. I said that would be awesome, and so there. And, and there was a guy, and that was he, the one right a few years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, saw, yeah. Okay, and um, so he, um, but he he just wouldn't he just wouldn't he doesn't get back to anybody. Yeah. So I said, well, that's you know that's a dead end. So I chased down. Uh, some people that had cases that were made from the same manufacturer, possibly even you know the overflow from when they made cases for this other person, and uh, they said they'd sell me the cases, which was an authentic reproduction, but they wanted four hundred bucks for a case, and when you, I mean, there's no room, nobody's going to buy this thing if it's a thousand dollars, so. Um, so I have to, you know, figure out how am I going to make a case? Well, back in the, back in the seventies, when you bought one of these things, it wasn't uncommon for people to make their own case. Right. Um, you know, you would, you would buy the motherboard and you would fabricate your own case. And a lot of people did some really pretty cases. So I'm going to go along that veins and I'm going to make some really pretty case with oak sides and, um, I've got the ability to make aluminum front panels, but I also have the ability, since it's so cheap to to do computer manufacturing nowadays, um, I milled a front panel out of Corian um, countertop, which you can get sheets of quarter-inch countertop. I don't know who'd want a countertop that's only a quarter-inch thick, but you can get the sheets, and it mills in these computerized uh, engravers, which they use to make plaques and all this other stuff. Well, they also make front panels. So what I'm going to do is – and I sent you the picture of the first front panel. That was finished today. Right. It looks great. uh, I mean it looks totally like – I'm looking at a real one and looking at that one. I'm also looking at the other one you're – that was Grant Stockley who did the – Yeah. He did an 8800 and the 680. But that was like Mm -hmm. seven, eight years ago. So yeah, he doesn't do it anymore I guess. But yeah, it looks fantastic. It looks totally authentic. Yeah, and I've got some – since I've sold you know a couple of these, um, a friend of mine, uh, Tom Walker, he, he said, hey, Sam, you can go ahead and use my front panel for my uh, Altair and the back panel. And so he sent it to me. We digitized it and you know we're, we corrected the Cricut artwork and, and uh, we're – you know, we made it so that at least the the layout is the same and the artwork is as similar as we can do without violating any copyrights. And I want to preserve the 
you know, the mystique and the, and the fun and, and the adventure that you would have when you'd get this new thing called a computer in your house. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, you know, trying to put all those good features in, but at the same time, make it so people can afford it. And um, if I was to do the exact repre- representation of the case, um, only seven people would be able to afford it. The rest of the people wouldn't wouldn't be able to enjoy it. Well, and I haven't listened to my own interview with Mike, Mike Douglas, who makes the Altair 8800 clone in quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he told me in it that he, he in fact does get the cases made by that original company uh, that made right. for the, so I don't know. You may, if you like, I can send you his email and uh, maybe. Yeah, you can well, have I a conversation with him and see what, you know. Yeah, I did talk to the original manufacturer. The um, the six eighty was produced in a a lot lower numbers. Yeah, right. Okay, than the others did. So when the when the production run ended, they they got rid of the dies. Okay, so that must be called them. Yeah. Um, Now the cases are are very similar, and I could probably you know adapt one of those other cases if uh, if that case looks closer to. You know the the 680 case. I would I would love to do it, especially if I could you know get it for you know a reasonable reasonable amount. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do have to you know sell more than seven of these, right? <laughs> you know. So well, I guess that that wraps it up. That was a good talk. We got all the information. So again, everyone, you can go to the links in the show notes. Um, I guess we'll add the, we'll add the Grant Stockley stuff just for out of interest sake too. You can look at the okay. earlier. Uh, Altier 680 kit, which also cost a lot more than yours, Sam. And I'm trying yeah. to see, I don't remember how much. I remember, I, I'm pretty sure it cost like double, you know, mm-hmm. eight years ago, what you're selling yours for, $599. But um, yeah. so all the links are in the show notes, and we'll add pictures to the, um, you know, to that as soon as it goes up. Thanks very much for joining us and talking to us about this. And um, okay. hopefully we can help you sell sell. Very more. informative. Okay. And if you are interested in, uh, uh, another podcast about the Apollo 11 DSKY, the computer that um, went into space, and uh, is pretty much what we have here. Okay. And I'm going to do that as well as uh, as well as talk about the Enigma recreation, which you can see, you know, on eBay. I'm the only one that's selling a full size Enigma replica. I did look at that, and it's just really impressive. I mean, it's incredible. With the, it looks. <laughs> it yeah, looks I, really I, thought, yeah. I thought no, you didn't 3D print that, but okay, it, it you did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it fools the best of them. You'd look at it and say, "Hey, this is plastic." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh looks, wait, wasn't it Bakelite? I guess we'll put a link to that too. After yeah, we'll do okay, that, awesome. So. But all right, we'll back in touch. Thanks again. Okay, thank you. Nice meeting you, Jeff. All right, same here, Sam. <laughs> <laughs>